felt like it was the right thing to do. Good morning, good morning. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Zach Coffin. I get to hang out here and teach you here at Union Chapel. And so thankful that you're here with us. If this is your first time here or your friend drug you, congratulations. You're in a good spot. We're glad that you're here. And if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here as well. I just want to encourage everybody to jump on the app and get the notes. We've got a bunch of ground to cover today. And uh, just so thankful for what God's doing in this church. And... Um, Man, truly believing the best is yet to come. I think that's the beautiful thing about the kingdom, about following Jesus, is the harder we push into him, we actually don't discover that there's an ending. We discover that his wells are deeper still. And I want to live my life uh, around people who are hungry to see those deep, deep wells. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into the text this morning. We're going to actually jump back a little bit so that we can jump forward again um, we're going to be looking today at the story of Lazarus. And if you've been around the church at all, you've heard this story because Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and I think what can happen with this story is it, it can at times be taught as this like really cute little Sunday school story. It's like, yay, Jesus' friend died. Well, not yay that his friend died. That would be weird. Uh, Boo, Jesus' friend died, but then, yay, Jesus raises, raises him from the dead. But I think there's some things about Jesus and his humanity that will be helpful for us to unpack. And so we're actually going to jump back to discover a little bit about Lazarus and his family uh, to put that in good context. Because I think that context, um, sorry, this is going to drive me bonkers. Um, I think that good context uh, will help us to understand better why Jesus' relationship with, with Lazarus is so intense. Because we'll read here in a few moments that Jesus, that everybody knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. And I think it's easy, again, to fast forward through the humanity of Jesus. We love talking about Jesus being fully God, but sometimes we can forget that he was fully man. He was, he was both the God man. He was fully God and fully human. He faced all the temptations and withstood them. He felt love. He felt joy. He felt peace. He felt frustration, sadness, grief, and all those things. And today we're going to look at the grief that Jesus felt with Lazarus because he loved his friend dearly. And so we're going to look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 10. And this is when Jesus is traveling with the disciples and as Jesus is traveling with his disciples, he stops uh, in Bethany to visit the house of Martha. And Martha has a sister named Mary. And Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus. Gold stickers all around. You did, you did good. So Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus. And so Jesus stops at their house. And, it's, and, and, the, and this text doesn't say that Lazarus is in the room but given the nature of the community, given the reputation that, G, who, that Jesus carried, it's probably a pretty safe assumption that, that, that is, uh, Jesus is at Martha's house, that Lazarus is probably nearby. And most likely he's probably in the room. So here's the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse number 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, and Mary, uh, who sat at Jesus' feet, listened to what he said. So think about this. There's this big group of people there. I want you to picture this in your head. Like, let's not just, let's just, not just read the text. Let's, let's, let's do a good job of visualizing this text as well. Jesus is sitting there. Most likely, everybody's sitting on the floor. Uh, Jesus is teaching. 
there's a bunch of people there. They're going to be hungry. They're going to need food. They're going to need, you know, something to drink, all that kind of stuff. And Mary finds herself sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to him teach. Martha is not. Martha is somewhere else. Martha is taking care of the house. Martha is doing what Martha what, what any, in this cultural context, again, this first century, uh, Jerusalem doing the expectation that would have been put on her, which would have been like, she would have been, the, you know, if, if the female in the house would have been the one taking care of the preparations. Um, I, I think Martha would have been on Pinterest. I don't know. I can't prove that, but I think that like that would have been Martha's thing, you know, like she was hosting. Um, it's not my thing. Um, I love cooking for people, but I'm glad that there are people that like, you know, decorating their homes and all those types of things. That's just not my game. Um, so Martha is there. Mary is at Jesus's feet. And so let's pick up the story in verse number 40. But Martha, watch this, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister I have a feeling that she was like bobbing her head a little bit when she was saying this. Like, I just get this picture. She's being a little spicy, a little bitter, a little, little, in, little uh, indignant to her sister here. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work for myself? Tell her to help me. So again, you know, like this isn't, this isn't like a 3,000 square foot home where there would have been opportunities for Martha to like kindly pull Jesus to the side and be like, Jesus, you know, I'm kind of working hard here. No, no, like, like, like most likely, Martha, you've all, I mean, your, your, your homes are messed up like mine. Like you would have had that, that person that walks in and everybody knows. I'm sure everybody knew that Martha was not happy. And so Martha interrupts the teachings like, Jesus, look, bro, I'm over here working my butt off. I'm getting all the food and stuff ready. But Mary isn't doing anything. Tell her, I love that she not only, it's like a good sibling thing, right? Like not only is going to point out that Mary's not doing anything, she's like, dude, do something about it. Tell Mary to get her butt in the kitchen and help me out. It's interesting to me, don't, don't miss past this because it's, 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 it's kind of a funny story at times, but I don't want us to miss a couple things in the text here. Let's look at verse 40 here real quick, just for a second. But Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted by all that needed to be done. It's an interesting thing to me that Luke would choose the word distracted. Because looking at the story, you would assume that Martha was actually doing the right thing. Like, hey, we've got people over at the house. Jesus is teaching. Like, we'll get all this stuff. But Luke, the author Luke says, no, no, no. Martha was distracted by all the preparations. Verse 41, Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. 
Is that not life? Is that not the distracted culture that we live in? It wasn't that Martha was doing the wrong thing. It wasn't even that Martha was doing the kind of all right thing. Martha was doing what she was supposed to be doing. But Jesus points out that it wasn't the best thing. I wonder, I wonder how, our lives would, how, how our lives would change a little bit if we pursued not just the good things of the kingdom, but the, best, the, the good things of the world, but the best things of the kingdom. Let me say that again. I wonder how our lives would change if we, not, if we didn't just pursue the good things of the world, but the best things of the kingdom. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this. Um, a, a lot of reflecting on this because I think, I, I, here's how I say it in the notes. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distract you. If the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distract you. Sometimes the enemy's game isn't to just destroy you and and knock you down and, and, and beat you down. Sometimes the enemy knows all that he has to do is get you one degree off. And that one degree off will put your life on a trajectory that all of a sudden you wake up five or 10 years from now and you go, how did we get there? Because all he needs to do is distract you. And he distracts you with good things. We live in the most prosperous country the world has ever seen. There's more resource, more health care, more retirement, more all those things that, that the world has ever seen. All of which are good things. But are they the best thing? Here's how I say it in the notes. This may smack you. I, I'm warning you. This, this may hurt a little bit. I'm just going to tell you. This, is, this has just been something I've been wrestling with. Personally, the American dream is about distraction, not security. You might retire from your earthly work, but never retire from kingdom work. The American dream is about distraction, not security. I think we've been sold a line by culture that the primary objective of our life here in the United States is to gather and hoard as much as possible so that one day we can stop working, live on a beach or in a camper or on a mountain and do whatever we want with our time until we die. I'm going to say something very direct. What a waste of a life. Man, I just don't see that in the kingdom. Now, here's the thing. Now, some of you are like, easy, buddy. I know. I know. I feel you. I'm just telling you what I, I feel like the Lord's been convicting me in a lot. Is that, is it, is it my goal? And let me talk to the young families a little bit here for just for a second. Is it the goal of my life to save as much as I can so that I can spend my life on myself? Or is it the objective of my life to live my life on behalf of others? Because I think I can do both. I think I can save and give. I think I can, I, I think I can, I think I can take my time for myself and actually give a ton of way as well. Like I wonder what would happen with the, if, 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 if we actually turn the American dream upside down a little bit. 
and said, actually, the most beneficial thing from my life will be to waste it on the kingdom of God. Because that's what it will look like to the world. Like, I wonder what it would look like for us to build our businesses in a way that we're positioning our lives to give King Jesus every ounce of our business. So that the goal of our work is actually not to get more money and to get promotion, but to position our lives in a way that will honor and serve other people. That whatever I do in word or deed, I'll do it for the glory of God. Because then all of a sudden I look at my work not as a job to produce for me, but an opportunity to use my work to glorify the king. Then I look at the retirement things that I'm doing and the things that I'm building, that they're not just to provide security for me, but it's actually an opportunity to, 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 to gather and save so that I can leash kingdom resource into the kingdom because you all know it wasn't yours anyway. I just want to encourage us this morning. Look, let's not retire from kingdom work. Let's not, let's not, young, young families, let's not say like, man, let's not wait to position our families for kingdom work when we have enough. Because here's what I've learned. I've lived a left life now. It's an interesting thing. I've never experienced this, this thing of enough. Even, even though all my needs are met, even though job is good, house is good, life is good, that feeling of enough is this fleeting thing. So I don't want to spend my days waiting for enough. I want to waste my life on the kingdom now. And retired folks, just listen to me real quick, real quick. We need spiritual mothers and fathers to show us how to live life well to the end. My generation needs you to show us how to finish well. And I don't need you to show me how to finish well by America's standards. I need you to show me how to finish well in the kingdom of God that you've spent the rest of your days serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and spent your life for, on behalf of others, showing the, showing the world who Jesus is. The people I admire most in my life are not the people who have been quote unquote successful in the world. I wanna be around people who are kingdom rich. So Mary sits down at Jesus' feet. Martha tries to correct her. Jesus tells her, Mary's chosen what's best. Mary's chosen what's best. And so Lazarus was probably in the room when this is all going on. Lazarus is, is, is observing what's going on. And, 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 and uh, clearly there was this friendship that developed. Because when we fast forward to John chapter 11, we see... Uh, we see that Lazarus is sick. So let's look at John chapter 11 here real quick. We're going to rip through a few of these verses. Now, a man, Lazarus, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister, Martha. The Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, the one who poured out perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
So the sister sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one that you love is sick. This is again, Mary, Mary does this over and over again, that she's wasting her life on behalf of Jesus. She's doing the things that are counterculture to put her into proximity with Jesus. We saw it when she was, uh, when she was choosing the better thing. We see it here in this passage. It's reminding us of the story of when Jesus is visiting Simon the leper and Mary interrupts what's going on to break the perfume and anoint Jesus, proclaiming that, proclaiming that Jesus is, it was a, it was a foreshadow of the, of the burial anointing that Jesus was going to have of Jesus's resurrection. So once again, Mary is doing what's countercultural in, in a very uh, uh, public way to show that she's wasting her life on Jesus. And they make this declaration of Jesus, the one that you love is sick. So, so Jesus had been living in such a way in relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha that, that people knew his love for Lazarus. He, they knew how much they cared for him, which I think is a great reminder to, to us again of the humanity of in which Jesus walked, fully God, fully man. That Jesus felt deeply, that he loved deeply, that he grieved deeply, that he got frustrated and was angry, that, that, that it wasn't, Jesus didn't walk around this earth as this numb, weird God shell. But it, it, scripture actually says that Jesus was tempted in all things and was able to withstand the test. Jesus isn't some far off distant God that doesn't feel and ache and burn. But he felt love for Lazarus. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in his death. No, it will be for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So he heard that Lazarus sick. When he heard that Lazarus sick, he loved them. So when he heard that they were sick, this is verse number six, he stayed there for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. I don't know if you've ever got that phone call where someone is sick or goes to the hospital. I don't think your instinct is usually go, you know what, let's wait two more days and then we'll go. And we'll, we'll discover here in a few minutes that this is a hard flex by Jesus. That Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Because why, again, he was going to demonstrate himself as the son of God. And so they, Jesus says, we're going to go back to Judea. His disciples are having none of it. They're like, dude, if you go back to Judea, they're going to kill you. Like, don't you remember what happened last time? They ran you out of town. They're trying to kill you. But Jesus, feeling such deep love, driven by love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, says that he's not going to wait. Or he's not going to avoid Judea, but he's actually going to go back to Judea. And he's going to visit the friends that he loves. Verse 11. After this, he said... After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought that he was meaning natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly. Thank goodness Jesus speaks plainly sometimes. I need that in my life. Lazarus is dead. Now remember, They don't know that he's dead. They just know that he's sick. But Jesus is saying like, hey, dude, he's dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe and let us go. Now watch this. Don't miss this. I I want you to watch Jesus. I want you to watch how Jesus responds in this moment. Because again, we're not talking about a far off God. We're not talking about one who doesn't feel 
We're not talking. We're not talking. Like, like this is, I think, this, is, this Jesus being fully God and fully human is one of the most impactful things about our faith because it, it, it demonstrates the proximity for which God went to redeem us. That Jesus didn't, didn't forsake humanity, but he saw it so fit to save us that he took on flesh. And watch Jesus' response. This is verse number 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Why is this important? Because in this culture, uh, uh, they believe that, 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 that the physical and the soul separated at, at day three. So being four days was, a, was, was basically like, like Jesus saying, he's dead, like real dead, like not coming back dead. So again, think of it, let's, let's be good, good scholars of the story. Jesus had waited two extra days before he went. And so Jesus is showing up in a situation that, that, that even with their belief system would have had no, 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 uh, no hope in sight. They're like, Lazarus is dead, not coming back. Verse 18, now Bethany was uh, less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So, so again, this is a very communal thing. There would have been crowds of people, not like five or 10, but but. but Tens of tens, most likely. Like when, you, when they would mourn, they mourned as an entire community. So it wasn't like Mary and Martha and like two people gathering. This would have been a, a crowd of people gathering. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Mary, 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 here we go. Lord, Mary said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And again, don't, let's, not, let's not fly past that. Let's again put in emotional context what's happening. Martha is talking about her brother to a man that she knows loved, loved him, to a man that she's declaring, Jesus, if you would have been here, he, would have, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you would have been in the room, if you would have just come two days earlier, or three days earlier, or four days earlier, Jesus, if you would have just been here, he wouldn't have died. You ever prayed that prayer? You ever felt that before? God, if you just would have showed up, none of this would have happened. It's a pretty, pretty real human response, isn't it? Jesus, if you would have been here, he would have died. But watch Martha. This is unreal. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus answered her, your brother will rise again. So Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again, Mary, or Martha. Now watch this. This is mind-blowing to me. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Think about Martha's faith in this moment. Jesus has not died and has not been risen from the dead yet. But Mary, or Martha, despite her intense personality and challenges, she re- is recognizing Jesus as the King of Kings, the one that will hold resurrection. She's recognizing that, yeah, Lord, like I know that Lazarus is going to raise again from the dead at the very end of the days. Think about the faith that that takes when you've actually never seen a resurrection. 
Think about the faith that Martha has, that she's looking around and Jesus is standing right there. He hasn't been beaten. He hasn't been tried. He hasn't been taken out yet. He hasn't been buried. They haven't mourned it. And she's saying, Jesus, I know that you're the king so much that he, I know that my brother would raise again. Whew. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, you give you whatever asked. Jesus answered, your brother will raise again. Mary, Mary answered, I know he'll raise again on the resurrection of the dead. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives uh, by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, you told him. So she told him, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the son of God who will come for the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary. Mary, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, when the crowd who'd been with Mary in the house as they were comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her. Why? Supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, Mary does what is not expected and chooses the better. Everybody expected her to go to the tomb and just grieve. They followed her. Expect, I mean, think about the crowd following her and, and, Mary, and, 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 and Mary's walking, walking, walking. And instead of turning right to the cemetery, she keeps walking. Like, where's, where's she going? Where's she going? But once again, Mary chooses the better thing and goes to sit at the feet of Jesus and gives him this very human response again. Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now watch this. Watch Jesus. Watch this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her were also weeping, he was moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. As Jesus approached, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is an intriguing passage to me. Because again, Jesus has already declared that he's going to raise Lazarus. Jesus knows the ending. He's already told him. He's already told, he's, he's already told him like, hey, I'm going to raise him from the, from the dead. And yet Jesus sees the brokenness of the people around him. He, he approaches the tomb of Lazarus and he just begins to weep. This verse has been an anchor to my life. My family has been through some hard things. I know you've been through some hard things too. And it's easy in those moments 
Just like Mary and Martha go, Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Or Lord, where are you? And it can be hard in the midst of our pain to see where Jesus is. This verse has been an anchor for my life because I think it's given me great, great uh, reality to, to to who Jesus is. Because Jesus is sitting there in the midst of my grief and weeping with me. Like the grief that you're experiencing right now, he's not distant from you. He's not far off. He's not a God that's left you. He's broken by the situation and is sitting there weeping with you. Think about that. He's not looking at you and saying, hey, just do better. He's not looking at you and saying, hey, he could have looked at Mary and Martha and gone, hey, why are you crying? I already told you I'm gonna raise him from the dead. Why are you crying? Suck it up. Quit being a sissy. Deal with it. Do you know who I am? I've already told you I'm going to raise him from the dead and y'all are sitting here whining. Don't you have faith? Don't you believe? No, 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 no. That's not the gracious king of kings and lord of lords that I serve. I serve the king of kings and lord of lords that came in human flesh as a baby in a manger who so saw it fit to save humanity that he had to dwell among us and live a sinless and perfect life to take on flesh who sees the pain in my life and doesn't look at me and say, suck it up, buttercup, but looks at me and says, Zach, I'm so sorry that this world's so broken. Buddy, I'm right there with you. And Jesus sits there and he weeps with me. That the presence of pain is not the absence of God. But actually what Jesus teaches is that the presence of pain gives us proximity to God in fresh ways. That if we allow our hearts to not grow hard in those moments, but to say, Jesus, I don't understand, but I know that you're here with me. I don't, I don't understand. God, and, and we know the Christian answer. We know that we live in a broken and fallen world full of sin. And we know that we live in corrupted bodies that will experience disease and illness and brokenness. And we know that we live in a broken society that people choose to defile their human bodies and defile other people with those bodies. We know this to be true and it grieves the heart of God. And yes, don't, 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 don't question. Jesus will return one day to make all things right. He's coming as the righteous judge to judge the living and the dead not out of anger, but out of justice to put all things right again. And in the midst of that waiting, he grieves with us. He's near us. Praise be to God. And he wants so much proximity with us. He says, I'm gonna send my spirit. And let us not forget what he calls the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit's referred to, the spirit of truth the spirit of comfort that Jesus literally is referred to as the Prince of Peace. So we don't grieve without hope. We're not just grieving to endure. 
but that God is so gracious in the midst of our grief to meet us with peace and patience, to endure in the midst of those hard things. Is that not an upside-down kingdom? That's King Jesus. And I love how the story goes. Because not only does Jesus meet them in his grief, again, Jesus was also grieving. He's not just coming alongside them, putting a hand on their shoulder and going, hey, I know this is so hard for you. He's saying, I'm right there with you. What are you going through today? Listen to me. What are you going through today that you need to invite Jesus into your grief? Not just a pat on the back, but saying, Jesus, I need you right in the middle of this to walk with me. Do you know grief is one of the most power, powerful human emotions that we experience and the, the, the primary emotion that most of us neglect? Scientifically, grief is one of the most powerful emotions in the human body. And here in the United States, we are phenomenal at skipping it. And dare I say to you that we are missing, when we choose not to grieve and invite Jesus into the grief, we are missing one of the primary places where God wants to give you his peace that passes understanding. So what does Jesus do in this story? Verse 38, Jesus once more moved. He comes to the cave where the stone is laid. And he says to the, cr- the crowd, this crowd gathers, says, take away the stone. Um, I'll be morbid here for just for a moment. The bro's been dead for four days. You ever been around an animal that's been dead for four days? <laughs> My man. My man. I agree, ooh. Martha gets it because Martha says, uh, Lord, uh, look, look, I can't, can't you see her? Like Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha's like, uh, uh, G- Jesus, real quick. Hey, uh, He's been dead for four days, bro. Literally, I mean, literally the text. By this time, there is a bad odor. So it would have been pretty confusing. And what does Jesus do? He says to them, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So take the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that, uh, that you've always heard me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then Jesus said, uh, then when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth over his face. And Jesus said, take his grave clothes off of him. Can you imagine standing there and Jesus yelling, Lazarus, come out? Well, first of all, watching them push the stone away and the murmurs in the crowd. What's he doing? 
Ooh. And then Jesus yells, Lazarus, come out. And then then there's Lazarus who's been prepared for burial. So he's wrapped in all this cloth and he would have been doused in all this perfume and herbs and stuff to try to make him not stink. And Lazarus. Somebody runs up and starts unpacking Lazarus. I love that in this story, Jesus not not only offers to sit with us in his grief, to sit with us in the grief. But it's a fresh reminder that, that, that resurrection is coming. That we're not, we're not just, we don't just follow a, a Jesus that sits with us in our, in, our, in our emotions and our fear and our pain, but he still is King of kings and Lord of lords and his redemption is coming. And the reality is, and you know this, that sometimes... That resurrection, that relief comes this side of heaven. That we get to see miracles and signs and wonders. We get to see that relief on this side of heaven. And sometimes we don't. But either way, Jesus is right there with you. And we get to live out this hope that resurrection is coming that we get to live this out. Because here's what's interesting to me about the story of Lazarus. So Lazarus is uh, resurrected, or Greg and I were, were talking between services, resuscitated, because Lazarus eventually died again. Because he he, his body wasn't perfected. But Jesus truly is the first fruits of the resurrection. That Jesus sits by the, sitting by the right hand of the Father right now, fully God, fully man. That Jesus is still sitting by the Heavenly Father in his flesh, uncorrupted and perfected. And that's the hope of glory that we get to walk in. That although trials are many and suffering is deep and struggle is real, that the King of kings and Lord of lords sees you right where you are and he weeps with you and walks with you. I think this is a part of our Christian faith that we tend to neglect. We love a good resurrection story. I'm with it. I'm still begging God for some resurrection in my life. Some things that are just long-suffering things. I'm just begging God, God, I don't want to wait for heaven, bro. Bring it now. But in the midst of my waiting, King Jesus is with me. What are you walking in right now? What are you carrying right now? Keep begging him for resurrection, but don't you for a minute question where he is at because he's right there weeping with you. It's interesting to me. I think Mary is a really good example for us here in many, many ways. Listen to me. Culture expected Mary to go to the tomb and grieve. And what did Mary do? She went to Jesus' feet to weep. Despite her grief, Mary chose Jesus. Despite her grief, Mary ran to Jesus. Despite her brother being dead in the tomb, Mary ran to Jesus. 
despite culture telling Mary to be sad and not look for hope and just grieve it and get over it, Mary ran to Jesus. Praise be to God that we have one to run to. Praise be to King Jesus who is worthy. This, this worship set could not have been more, any, any more appropriate. All hail King Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth who was and is and is to come. We're gonna celebrate communion this morning. And I think the beauty of communion is that we're, we're not merely remembering that Jesus once died and once rose again, but that we are celebrating that that resurrection power has not expired has not grown weary and is available to all of us. That King Jesus is still king and King Jesus is still bringing dead things back to life. And so we're gonna go into a time of communion here in just a moment. But before we do that, I just wanna give you a chance to, to, to catch your breath and reflect. Scripture's really good about saying, don't, don't take communion without reflecting. Don't rush it. Take a second and reflect. So I want to give us a moment. And maybe today you just need to, you need to just thank God again that he's there with you in those moments of death in your life. Maybe you need to take a moment and just invite Jesus into your grief because you've been stiff-arming him. Maybe you just need to take a moment and just say, Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for the promise of resurrection. So let me pray for us. King Jesus, we love you. Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, I thank you that you have never left us. That in the midst of those hard things, you are present. God, that you are not overwhelmed by our emotions or fearful of them, Lord, but that you speak peace in the midst of pain and grief, that you speak life into what's broken, you speak wholeness into cracked places, that you speak repair into relationships. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray resurrection power over this body, those in this room and online. God, that we would trust you to not just hold the practical things, Lord, but you can hold our grief, that you grieve right there with us. And so, Lord, we thank you for sending King Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for walking with us. We thank you for walking out resurrected life. And it's the powerful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.